0: Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. The Old Testament said, don't murder. Jesus said, don't even hate another person. As we'll see today, the Old Testament said, don't engage in excessive retaliation. Jesus is going to say, don't retaliate at all. Instead, love and pray for your enemies.
1: Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor Dr. Robert Jeffress. Let's face it, when a hostile enemy attacks you, turning the other cheek, it's really not a natural response. Well, today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress helps us understand Jesus' command to love our enemies in a world where restraint is seen as a vice and retaliation is viewed as a virtue. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffers? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway
0: to Victory. As a pastor and Bible teacher, I love to preach. But next to preaching, perhaps in second place, I love taking my friends to Israel. Why is that? Well, because it's an absolute joy to show my friends the very sites where Jesus conducted His ministry. Well, just a few weeks ago, I hosted a tour to the Holy Land with almost 500 of our Pathway to Victory friends. Along our journey together, we got to stand on the hillside overlooking a tranquil sea of Galilee, where Jesus delivered his famous Sermon on the Mount. The stunning scenery is still very fresh on my mind. It was on this very location where Jesus identified 10 topics that are common among all men and women, such as cultivating happiness, developing healthy relationships, and even dealing with our enemies. He packed a wallop in just 18 minutes. Yes, we can read his famous sermon in less than 18 minutes. Now, to help you understand the wonderful implications of Jesus' message, I wrote a best-selling book for you. It's called 18 Minutes with Jesus. And following today's message, I'll explain how you can receive your copy along with a companion study guide. Both resources are my gift to you when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. But right now, let's take a virtual trip back to that hillside in the Holy Land where Jesus gave this famous sermon. I titled today's message, Straight Talk About Your Enemies. Like many of you, I stopped watching the Academy Awards years ago (laughs) when they increasingly started talking about movies I had never seen, being presented by people I had never heard of or cared about. But like millions of Americans, I saw that jaw-dropping moment when Will Smith bounded onto the stage and slapped comedian Chris Rock silly for an insult that Rock had made about Will Smith's wife. How did Chris Rock respond? Well, he was obviously dazed, he was speechless, he was even somewhat amused, but he didn't Punch Will Smith's lights out. That would have been the normal response. But he certainly didn't turn his head and say, Thank you, sir. May I have another? That would have been totally unexpected, especially in our culture. We live in a culture that celebrates and awards revenge and retaliation. I think about a key scene in that Academy Award winning movie from 30 years ago, The Untouchables. Do you remember the movie? There's a key scene in it in which Sean Connery plays a tough Irish American cop and he's given some advice to Elliot Ness, the FBI agent played by Kevin Costner on how to get Al Capone. Remember what he said? You wanna get Capone? Here's what you do. He brings a knife, you bring a gun. He sends one of your guys to the hospital You send one of his guys to the morgue. That's the Chicago way. That's the American way, isn't it? Retaliation, revenge, don't get mad, get even, which makes Jesus' words all the more mind-boggling when it comes to the issue of how do you deal with your enemies? Jesus said, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. Today, our study on the Sermon on the Mount has brought us to perhaps the most familiar but least understood passage in the entire sermon Jesus gave. In fact, it's a passage of Scripture that has caused many people to turn away from the Bible. Reading these words has convinced many that the Bible just is unrealistic, and it's irrelevant to our culture today. Nothing could be further from the truth. Today, we're going to look at some straight talk from the Savior about how to deal with our enemies. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Remember, I can't say it often enough, this sermon is not a checklist on how to get to heaven. This is how to live after you're assured of heaven, after you're saved. Remember 2 Peter 1.3 says, God has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. We have everything we need in the Holy Spirit to live the kind of life Jesus outlines here. And he outlines this kind of living not as some legalistic requirement. It is the path to enjoy genuine joy in this life. You don't have to wait until you die and go to heaven to experience joy. There's genuine joy when you live life like Jesus prescribed in this Sermon on the Mount. Now, it was completely different than what the Old Testament leaders and the New Testament Pharisees and scribes understood. It's not that their laws were wrong, they just didn't go far enough. They dealt with external behavior, but Jesus was interested in the internal attitudes that fuel that external behavior. For example, the Old Testament said, don't murder. Jesus said, don't even hate another person. The Old Testament said, don't sleep with somebody else's mate. Jesus said, don't even think about sleeping with somebody else's mate. As we'll see today, the Old Testament said, don't engage in excessive retaliation. Jesus is gonna say, don't retaliate at all. Instead, love and pray for your enemies. Now, to understand this sermon properly and to apply it correctly, there are three key distinctions in the Bible we need to make. Now, I'm gonna introduce to you an interesting principle of Bible study. Whenever you come to a passage like we're gonna look at today that seems difficult to understand, The best way to understand an unclear passage of Scripture is by other passages of Scripture that are clear. We call it in Bible study, the law of correlation. The best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. You see, all the Bible is inspired by God, not just the words in red letters, Jesus' words, all of it is equally inspired. And if you want to know what a passage means and you're having difficulty, go to other passages that are clear. They will uh, cast light on the passage that's in question. So here are three key distinctions that will help you understand the passage we're going to look at today. First of all, the difference between vengeance and justice. Vengeance and justice. We've talked about this in our series on forgiveness. The best definition of vengeance I know is, vengeance is my desire to hurt you for hurting me. That's what vengeance is. We want to hurt others for hurting us. And the Bible says we are to give up our desire for vengeance. Romans 12, 19, Paul writes, "'Never take your own revenge, beloved, "'but leave room for the wrath of God, "'for it is written, vengeance is mine, "'I will repay,' says the Lord." God can settle the score better than we can. Leave that up to him. Give up your desire for vengeance. But that's different than justice. Justice is the payment God may demand from those who have wronged me. Justice is the payment God, or sometimes God working through others, may demand from those who have wronged me. And the Bible said, never should we give up our desire for justice. Isaiah 117, learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow ladies and gentlemen, to ask the victim of a crime like theft or rape or incest or the murder of a loved one, to tell people, oh, just give up your desire to see your perpetrator suffer for what they did. That's not only unrealistic, it's unbiblical. They are to suffer, but it's not you who inflicts the suffering It's letting God, letting others deal with that. By the way, one primary channel through which God demands payment from wrongdoers is through the government. In Romans 13 verse 4, Paul reminds us, for it, that is government, is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for government doesn't bear the sword for nothing. That's a good word about capital punishment. God gives government the power of the sword, for it is a minister of God. That is, government is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. We give up vengeance, but that doesn't mean we give up our desire for justice. Secondly, we need to understand the difference between individuals and government in Scripture. Back during the 2016 presidential election, a reporter asked me, Pastor Jeffress, wouldn't you prefer a candidate who would run this nation according to the principles of Jesus found in the Sermon on the Mount? Wouldn't you prefer that? I said, if any candidate pledged to run this country according to the principles of the Sermon on the Mount, I would run as far and as fast from that candidate as possible. When it comes to electing a president, I want the meanest, toughest, you-know-what to lead this country who will protect our country from our enemies. That's the role of government. Well, people went hysterical when I said that. I mean, oh, Pastor Jeffers threw Jesus under the bus, one headline said. No, I wasn't throwing Jesus under the bus. Jesus never meant for the Sermon on the Mount to be a constitution for nations. No nation is ever called to turn the other cheek or to forgive a nation that bombs them. That's not the role of government. Government is to protect its citizens. This sermon is about individuals and how they govern their personal lives. You have to understand that distinction. And then third. We need to understand the difference between rights and responsibilities, especially in these 11 verses we're going to look at. Rights versus responsibilities. Now, I know I'm treading on controversial uh, issues here when I say this, but I think it needs to be said. If you listen to some Christian leaders today, they would have you believe that the core value of Christianity is we've got to stand up for our rights Stand up for your rights. Don't let anybody push you around and tell you what to do. They would have you to believe that's what the gospel of Jesus Christ is, standing up for your rights. Now, honestly, folks, as you read the New Testament, can you really say the core teaching of the New Testament is holding on to your rights? That's what some people would have you to believe. We're confusing the Bible with the platform of the Republican Party or with the platform of the Democrat Party, depending on which imaginary right you're talking about. (laughs) But that's not the message of the New Testament. How are we to handle our rights? Listen to Philippians 2, beginning with verse 3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was in Christ Jesus. What was that attitude? He goes on to say, although he existed in the form of God, he did not hold his equality with God, a thing to be grasped, to held on to, but he emptied himself. He gave up his rights as God in order to come and to meet our needs. That is the message of Christianity. We're to hold our so-called rights very loosely, especially when it comes to others. But there's a difference between rights and responsibilities. I may voluntarily surrender my rights, I can never release my responsibilities. For example, somebody breaks in my house tonight. I have a responsibility to defend my wife, to defend my home. That's even found in the Old Testament code. I can't say, oh, you know, whatever you wanna do, Mr. Robber, feel free to do you know, I'm giving up my uh, right to defend my home. No, I can't give up my responsibility to defend others. If some organization or the government tries to restrict our freedom to preach the gospel, we can't say, oh, we're just going to give up our right to preach the gospel. We're going to surrender that. No, that's a God-ordained responsibility Remember, the Apostle Paul spent two years of his life tied up in the Roman legal system, fighting for his rights to speak and move freely, not for his own benefit, for preaching the gospel. That's why he stood up for his rights. So, as we read Jesus' words, we need to understand the difference between surrendering rights, which Jesus is going to call on us to do occasionally, versus surrendering responsibilities. Now… With those three key distinctions, let's look at these 11 verses. How do you deal with your enemies? And it divides nicely. Verses 38 to verse 42, Jesus said, first of all, we're to release our rights and not retaliate. And then in verses 43 to 47, he says, we are to love rather than hate. Now, let's start with release, don't retaliate. You know, some of our most cherished rights as American citizens is found in our judicial system. Our constitution says we shouldn't have to worry about government knocking down our front door and seizing us or our property without a trial. And even if there is a trial and we're found guilty, there's a limit to the kind of punishment that government can exact from us. The last point comes from one of the most basic laws in human history. It's the idea that the punishment should fit the crime. And it's behind Jesus' words in verse 38. You have heard it said, and then he quotes from Exodus 21, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Did you know that is not an original idea, limiting punishment? Uh, Moses got it from somebody else. Moses got it from the Code of Hammurabi, that was around during the time of Abraham, hundreds of years before Moses. Hammurabi was a ruler of Babylon, and he had this law. I quote from it, If a man has caused the loss of a gentleman's eye, his eye shall be caused to be lost. If he has shattered a gentleman's limb, one shall shatter his limb. If he has made the tooth of a man fall out, one shall make his tooth fall out. Moses just cut to the chase and said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But it's the same idea. And we've carried that idea into our legal system today. The Latin phrase is lex talionis, the law of retaliation. If somebody wrongs us, there is a measured retaliation, the Old Testament said. It's that eye for an eye, tit for tat, retaliation. It was that code that my brother and I used to follow when we were growing up together. You've heard me tell that my brother used to accidentally leave our bathroom door locked in my bedroom, and so I'd try to open it, and uh, I wasn't able to open it, so I would respond in kind. I didn't murder my brother, though I felt like doing it from time to time. That would have been excessive punishment. So instead, I took a vial of stink perfume I got from the magic shop, and I would soak his pillow in for it. That's an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's what the Old Testament law was. The Old Testament said you can't engage in excessive punishment, and you're not to exact the punishment yourself. Leave it to the legal system. Well, the Pharisees took that rule and applied it to personal relationships where it didn't belong. And so, in verse 39, Jesus said, when it comes to relationships, do not resist an evil person. Not only are you not to engage in excessive retaliation, you shouldn't seek retaliation at all. Now, again, we're not saying something Jesus isn't saying. Don't make Jesus say something he didn't say. He didn't say, don't defend yourself, don't defend others around you. He didn't say, nations, if somebody drops a nuclear bomb on you, just turn the other cheek. He's talking about personal relationships here, ones that aren't governed by other Scripture. And we ought to be ready to release our rights rather than hang on to them, even with our enemies. For example, Jesus said we need to release our right to dignity. Look at verse 39 again. But I say to you, don't resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Now, when he talked about slapping somebody on the cheek, this wasn't kind of the full-fisted punch that breaks a person's jaw. He wasn't even talking about a hard slap across the face that Leaves a mark like the Will Smith kind of slap. What he's talking about here was a backhanded slap. It was a way of insulting another person. The backhanded slap. We have today the backhanded compliment. This was the backhanded slap. It was a way to insult somebody. It didn't cause injury. Certainly didn't cause death. And what it meant was, I think so little of you, I'm not even going to give you a full face slap. I'm gonna do it with the back of my hand. That's how little I think of you. What he's saying is, don't return insult for insult. That's tempting to do, isn't it? To wanna one up the person who has insulted you. You know, it reminds me of the patron saint of British insulters named Winston Churchill. (laughs) He was always coming up with good retorts to people who insulted him. On an occasion, playwright George Bernard Shaw invited Winston Churchill to attend the premiere of his play. Shaw wrote to Churchill, I am reserving two tickets for you for my premiere. Come and bring a friend if you have one. (laughs) Churchill responded, impossible to be present for the first performance. We'll attend the second if there is one lex talionis, the law of retaliation. I remember not long ago, a so-called religious leader published an open letter to me in a national publication. And I was just turning that over in my mind. I was on the way home, driving up the tollway, and as I thought about it, what I was going to say, I came up with a one-sentence zinger. And I was absolutely giddy about it. I mean, I couldn't wait to get home to put it on the computer and hit that send button. But doggone it, I remembered this verse. (laughs) And I held on to my zinger. Now, I don't do it always. Sometimes I do hit the send button. But the best way to quench a fight is just to deal with it immediately by refusing to escalate the insults. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Go ahead and give up your right to personal dignity. Secondly, he says, we need to be willing to release our right to property. Verse 40, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, that was a reference to an undershirt, a garment, undergarment, let him have your coat also. A coat was a most basic unit of clothing in the Middle East. Everybody had a right to a coat. And Jesus said there are times you need to be willing to release your right to property. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Even popular people have enemies. And maybe you're in the crosshairs of someone who doesn't like you and even resents your Christian values. It's a lonely and helpless feeling. So if you've been mulling over a relationship that needs repair, or an enemy that needs to be confronted, Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 5 will guide you. And as you prepare to take these steps, I invite you to request your copy of my best-selling book called 18 Minutes with Jesus. With clarity and compassion, Jesus taught us how to deal with subjects like broken friendships, worry about money, and how to cultivate purity in our most intimate relationship, our marriage. My book goes into far greater detail than this broadcast, so it will help you understand how to apply the timeless wisdom of Jesus in your daily life. Ask for a copy of my book, 18 Minutes with Jesus, when you get in touch with us today. It's yours, along with a companion study guide, when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. In closing, let me thank you for giving generously to this ministry. As darkness appears to prevail in our country and our world, we know that God is using your generosity to push back the forces of evil. The evidence to this fact is overwhelming. In fact, every day we receive affirming phone calls, emails, and letters from people who thank us for our boldness and faithfulness to the truth of God's Word. And it's all because of friends like you who support us. Thank you so much for your continued generosity. Don't forget, you can watch Pathway to Victory on television. On Saturdays, you can see us at noon Eastern on TBN. And on Sunday, we are on hundreds of stations, including TBN at 10 a.m. Eastern and Daystar at 6 p.m. Eastern.
1: David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffers. A copy of the best-selling book by Dr. Jeffers, 18 Minutes with Jesus, is yours today when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. The book also comes with a companion study guide, so call 866-999-2965 or make your request online at ptv.org. And when your gift is $75 or more, you'll also receive the complete collection of audio and video discs for this month's teaching series, 18 Minutes with Jesus. One more time, our phone number, eight six six nine 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 two nine six five, 2965 or go to ptv.org. You could also write to us if you'd like. Here's that mailing address, P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. Again, that's P.O. Box 223609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins, inviting you back next time for part two of the message, Straight Talk About Your Enemies, right here on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.